Well, this is a little awkward, isn't it? It feels like someone should be doing something, right? I mean, thanks for the slow clap. Thanks for the slow clap. That always makes me feel good. I, uh, I always appreciate that, but it feels like, you know, someone should be stepping up and leading us right now in studying the Word of God. I mean, if anything, Jeff Johnson could help me out and at least come back and play a few songs, you know what I mean? Hey, I want you to think about something real quick. I want you to think about the potential that's in this room right now. I want you to think about the fact that we have the Word of God in hand right now. You think about what Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says. It says that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We have the Word of God with us right now. Not only that, but we have literally hundreds of people in one place who desire to have a meaningful moment with God. You think about the fact that some of you guys are here, you're searching for answers, the fact that I'm doing this right now is kind of freaking you out, you're trying to figure out how you're going to get out of here without people seeing you, but you're here searching for something. Some of you here came because you're trying to get a little relief from some guilt or shame. Some of you just feel incredibly spiritually dry and disconnected. Some of you are here just because you want more Jesus. What you don't realize is that there is huge potential for life change in this moment right here, right now. Now I want you to think about this. Imagine what a huge missed opportunity it would be if no one stepped up and led tonight. Like if the stage stayed vacant the rest of the evening, what a waste that God's given us his word. He's brought us here even in the rain to have a meaningful moment with him. Imagine the missed opportunity if no one stood up and led. I just want to ask, I wonder if this is, if this is how your fraternity or sorority might feel. Here's what I mean. Like, I wonder if there's an empty stage in your fraternity or sorority. I wonder if your fraternity or sorority kind of feels right now like someone should be stepping up and leading. Because I would imagine that your fraternity or sorority is full of people who call themselves Christians but really have no time for Jesus right now because the fraternity or the sorority is life. Imagine the potential life change if someone were to step up and lead a Jesus is life movement in your fraternity or sorority. Now, I'm, I'm not against the fraternity or sorority. I'm just saying imagine. Imagine the potential. Imagine what could happen if 100 men in a fraternity or 200 women in a sorority who love each other were to come together and say, hey, we're all in with our fraternity or sorority, but Jesus is he's life. You know what would happen? You would change all of Greek life. Not even that. I wouldn't be surprised if you changed all of Baylor University. But right now it's just a, it's an empty stage. It's a missed opportunity. 
I wonder if this is how your apartment or your house feels. I wonder if there's an empty stage in your house or apartment. Like it feels like someone should be stepping up and leading. I would imagine that many of you live in apartments or houses where everyone just feels lukewarm spiritually right now. Imagine the potential for life change if someone were to step up and state the obvious and lead. Can you imagine a time where everyone in your apartment or house is on fire for Jesus? How incredible would that be? But right now it's just a missed opportunity. I wonder if there's an empty stage in Penland right now. It feels like someone should be stepping uh, stepping up and leading. Uh, I I would imagine that there's hundreds of guys in Penland who are enslaved to pornography. Imagine the potential for life change if someone were to step up and lead a freedom movement for Penland. Right now, it's just a missed opportunity. See, there's empty stages all over Baylor. There's empty stages all over friend groups. There's empty stages all over the international student communities, students who have no clue what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus. There's empty stages. And the reason that we might not be experiencing revival at Baylor is because there's a lack of leadership. And the time is now for someone to step up and lead. I just want you to think, what if God has strategically placed you in your fraternity or sorority or student organization or dorm hall or apartment or house or friend group or church so that you will step up and lead? What if God wants to use you to bring change in the sphere of influence he's placed you? What if he's calling you tonight to step up and take the stage? Tonight we're going to be starting a series through the book of Joshua. You need to know Joshua was a guy who stepped up and led. So we're going to learn from his life tonight. But before we do, let's pray together. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for these friends that are here. Thank you for what you want to do. Lord, I pray that there's a few men or women in this place tonight that you're going to call to step up and lead and take the stage. Lord, we're here because we want you to do something in our lives. It's the whole point of us being here, God. So we give this time to you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me tonight. Joshua chapter 1 is where we're going to be. Joshua chapter 1. It's good to see you. Literally, it is good to, it is good to see you. And here's what I want to do. I want to read you the first two verses. And after I read you the first two verses, it's going to take a few minutes for me to kind of catch you up 
to where we're at in Joshua. Because Joshua, Joshua chapter 1 verse 1 is a pivotal moment in the, the history of the nation of Israel. So here we go, verses 1 and 2. Look at them with me and then I will catch you up to date. Here's what it says. Verse 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Joshua 1.1, it, it is a hinge moment in the nation of Israel. But in order for you to kind of grasp how powerful chapter 1, verse 1 is, I need to take you all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. Because in Genesis chapter 12, God makes a promise to a guy named Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, God brings Abraham into this land. It's called the land of Canaan. And he tells uh, Abraham, I am going to give this land to you and to your offspring, to your descendants. This land will be yours. And then in Genesis chapter 13, he kind of fills in a few more details. Listen to what it says in chapter 13. God says to him, uh, he, he says, where is it? Sorry. He says, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust on the earth, your offspring also can be counted. So, God says to Abraham, I'm going to give this land. It's going to be for you and your offspring. And you need to know your family tree is about to blow up. And then in chapter 15 of Genesis, he kind of fills in a few more details. And this is going to have everything to do with Joshua. Here's what God tells Abraham. He says, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. And there'll be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God fills in a few more details. He says, Abraham, your family tree is going to explode. You're going to multiply. Your offspring is going to become great. And if you were to go and read the rest of Genesis, here's what you would see. Abraham had who? He had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had who? Joseph. And if you know the story of Joseph, he had some really incredible brothers who sold him into slavery. Those aren't great family members. They sold him into slavery, and one uh, occurrence after another landed Joseph as number two in command in Egypt. And then if you remember, a severe famine comes into the land of Canaan, the land of Egypt, which forces Joseph's brothers to come to Egypt looking for food. It turns out that Joseph and his brothers are reunited. They go and get Jacob. They bring him to Egypt, and then Jacob, Joseph, and his family settle in Egypt, a foreign land. 
They begin to multiply. Abraham's offspring continues to increase. Meanwhile, a new king takes the throne in Egypt, and he forgets about Joseph and Abraham's family. And as the nation of Israel begins to increase, the king of Egypt feels threatened. So what he does is he enslaves the Israelites, just as God had predicted. And the Israelites become slaves for 400 years. And after 400 years, the Israelites begin to cry out. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 24 says this, listen, And God heard their groaning, and God remembered what? His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So he calls a guy named Moses, and listen to what he tells Moses. This has everything to do with Joshua. Exodus 3, he says to Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. It's like clockwork. Genesis chapter 15, God says to Abraham, hey, here's how things are going to go down. I mean, this land is for your offspring, but you need to know they're not going to get it right now. They're going to actually become slaves in a foreign land for 400 years. And he sets a timer, and after 400 years, a timer goes off in heaven. And God puts his plan into action to bring them back. He sends Moses into Egypt. Moses initiates the largest road trip in the history of mankind. He busts two million people out of Egypt, go through a Red Sea. They begin to wander in the wilderness. And as the Israelites begin to roam the wilderness, they perpetually are ungrateful and untrusting of God. And God gets to a point where he just says, enough, forget it. And so what he does is he just makes the Israelites walk in circles for 40 years. And he says, I'm going to kill off one generation of Abraham's descendants because you guys are ungrateful and untrusting. And I'm going to raise up another generation of Abraham's offspring. And so after 40 years, he raises up a new generation of Abraham's offspring. And then Moses leads them all the way to the banks of the Jordan River. And just on the other side of the Jordan River is the promised land, the land of Canaan, the land that God had promised back in Genesis chapter 12 and 15. And here's what you need to know. God had kind of promised Israel, that it would be an Eden-like experience, like the Garden of Eden. He said, it's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. The fruit is going to be incredible. I'm going to give you rest from all of your enemies. My presence is going to be with you. You're going to be at complete rest. This is going to be your home. Complete peace, complete satisfaction, Imagine the potential. They are on the edge of the Jordan River, just across the Jordan. Life is waiting. And at the banks of the Jordan River, 
Moses dies. Do you see it? Israel is in the same place that potentially your fraternity or sorority is. Israel is in the same place that potentially your home or apartment or friend group or church group is. There's so much potential. There's life waiting. But it feels like someone needs to step up and lead. Because if no one does, it's going to be a huge missed opportunity. That's where Joshua comes in. And that's why Joshua chapter 1 verse 2 is so important. I want you to look at it. Look at verse 2. It says this. God speaks to Joshua and he says this. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. There's three phrases in this verse that are extremely important. Look at the first phrase in the verse. It says what? Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, look at the third one. Go over this Jordan. So, here's the question. Phrase one, Israel is Moses-less. Their leader is dead. Their leader is gone. The nation of Israel is Moses-less. Look at phrase three. Go over this Jordan. What's the bridge that's going to get a Moses-less people across the Jordan? On one bank of the Jordan is a Moses-less people. On the other side of the Jordan, life is waiting. Uh, Potential is there. What's the bridge that's going to get a Moses-less people from here to here, it's phrase true. God speaks to Joshua and he says, now therefore arise. It's as if God's saying, there's a leaderless group of people over here and life is waiting over here. The only thing that needs to happen to get them from here to here is I need one man who will step up and lead. Imagine if that's the case for Baylor University. Imagine if that's the case for TSTC or MCC. Imagine if that's the case for your house or your apartment. Imagine if that's the case for your fraternity or sorority or for the international student population on Baylor's campus or for your church. What if all God needs is for one man or one woman who would be willing to step up and lead? Here's my hope tonight. I'll just be straight up with you. My hope tonight is that a few of you would hear God whisper to you tonight the same three words that Joshua heard God whisper to him. Now, therefore, arise. You know what the modern translation is of that? Step up. Somebody step up and lead. Lead this potential to reality. Somebody step up. Now I'd imagine that some of you guys are sitting there saying, yeah, I want to be that guy. 
Yeah, there is potential in my house. There is potential in my fraternity or sorority. There is such potential in an international student population, and I want to be a part of it. But I have no clue what it looks like. I, I, I want to be that guy. I want to be that woman, but I have no clue what it looks like to be a truly good an effective leader. That's the beauty of Joshua chapter 1. We're going to be able to just walk through it almost verse by verse, and it is going to give us a beautiful snapshot of what good, effective leadership looks like. If you want to be one man or one woman who steps up and is a change agent in the sphere of influence that God has placed you in, then you need to see what we're talking about tonight. Please don't miss it. Here we go. If you want to be one man or one woman who is an effective leader for God's glory, here we go. Look back at verse 1 with me. I want you to see what Moses is called. I want you to see what, uh, not Moses, but Joshua's job description was before God called him to arise. Says this, verse 1 After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, who was he? What does it say? Please help me out. What does it say? Moses' assistant. Yeah, it says Moses' assistant. You want to know why Joshua turned out to be such a good leader? He learned good leadership from being around good leadership. He was Moses' assistant. Here's why that's so significant. Moses was one of the most effective leaders of all times. And the beauty is this. Moses, I don't know if you remember, but when Moses was called by God to lead, he experienced a lot of reluctance in leading God's people. That's the same reluctance that Joshua is going to experience in just a few verses. I don't know if you remember, but Moses is going to have to to delegate some power and authorities to some officers. That's the same thing that Joshua is going to have to do in just a few days. Moses had to figure out how to lead a large group of people over a large body of water. Joshua is going to have to do the same thing in just a few days. Moses had to deal with sin among the people. Remember they built the golden calf? Joshua is going to have to deal with the same type of sin. In just a few days. What's my point? Joshua learned good leadership from being around good leadership. You want to be an effective leader? You want to be the one man or the one woman who steps up? You want to be a good leader? Then you better get around good leaders. You better become someone's assistant. I believe every single person in this room needs a mentor. Every single person in this place needs a mentor where you go to someone who you respect, who's an effective leader, and you just say, I want to assist you. I want to be around you. You want to know what one of the top things is that will prevent you from being an effective leader? Guys especially, it's pride. It's pride. Believing that at 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 years of age, you have nothing left to learn about leadership. Because God's already wired you and gifted you with everything that you need. Now, you want to learn good leadership, then you better get around good leadership. <clears throat> A few weeks ago, someone asked me, they said, hey, where'd you, learn how to, where'd you learn how to speak? Where'd you learn how to communicate? And you know what I did? 
I just started rattling off people's names. Like, I didn't take, like, how to give a sermon 101, like, in seminary. I don't think that class even exists. You know, what I did was I just started watching effective leaders and communicators. So I learned passion from Brian Mountjoy. I learned how to tell stories from Greg Mott. I learned how to walk through a passage from Brad Thomas and Brian Fisher. And when it comes to just leadership in general, I learned how to have tough conversations from Todd Wagner. I learned how to bring people into my home from Todd Beller. I learned how to care from Andy Davenport. I learned how to cast vision from Brad Thomas. I'm just scratching the surface. But I learned good leadership from being around good leadership. One of the biggest compliments anyone could ever pay to me is that when they see me do something, they say, man, that was Brian Mountjoy right there. Like, I just saw him in you. I'm like, oh, man, what a compliment. He's an effective leader. Last night I was in Austin doing something for Vertical, and it was 7.30 at night, and I needed to get back to Waco. I was already doing the math. I'm not going to be back till 9.30, and there's still stuff I need to do. And I was getting ready to head out of town, and I just thought, you know what? No, I need to call Andy Davenport to have dinner with him. Why? Because he's one of the most effective leaders that I know. And I'm talking about leadership tomorrow. I'm going to be telling these students, you learn good leadership from being around good leadership. And so I called Andy. I said, you want to grab dinner real quick on my way out? He said, yeah, that's great. And so we ended up, we ended up meeting. And, and he is just such an effective leader. He began to ask me about Vertical's mission statement. And then he began to ask me about how Vertical does fundraising, and then he asked about our student leadership, and then he told me about what he does. He works with Young Life, and he told me about how he leads his leaders and how he does fundraising, and I was just sitting there in awe, just kind of taking mental notes, like the stuff that he is downloading to me right now is invaluable. See, I'm 32 years old, and and in terms of what I know about leadership, it's just this much, even though I've been learning stuff about leadership for over a decade. But I just sat there on my drive home. I was like, praise God that he, uh, he, God told me, hey, you know what, get with Andy because, Timothy, you will learn good leadership from being around good leadership. I tell you that to say one of the most effective things that you can do as a college student is to fill up your schedule with appointments with good leaders. You want to lead in your fraternity or sorority and you're young? And you start grabbing lunch or dinner with someone older in your fraternity or sorority that you respect, and you just begin to ask them, what does it look like to lead effectively in this organization? If you're close to getting married, man, you better be tracking down any godly man who's married that you can, and you say, I want to get on your schedule, and you sit down with them, and you say, what does it look like to lead your wife effectively? I want to know, just download it to me. If you're one of those girls who's thinking ring by spring, senior year, and then you guys are going to do the married thing for a couple of years, and then you're just going to start popping out kids, and, and that's what you're going to do, all right? You're, you're going you're, you're to just start stacking up the kids. If that's you, you better be getting around godly women whose primary responsibility is to, is to shepherd their kids during the day, and you sit with them and you say, what does it look like to lead your kids on a daily basis? What does that look like? Because I want to know because that's who I want to become. You're interested in leading 
a Bible study, well, you need to get with someone from your church and just say, what does it look like to effectively disciple some younger people? I'm interested in investing in high school students. What does that even look like? How do I do that? Well, I don't want to waste my time with these high school kids or with these freshmen in college. I, just, I don't want to just entertain them with us grabbing meals together, which is a good thing, but that's not everything. What does it look like to invest in them? You download that into me. That's what happens. You learn good leadership from being around good leadership. You become someone's assistant. Let's move on. What it says, verse 2 through 6. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Listen to this. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given it to you just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I'll not leave you or forsake you. You see what happens here? God gives Joshua the vision. He says, Joshua, here's here's the vision. You're going to take these people here, and you're going to take them over there, and you're actually going to go through the sea. And this land is all for you. You guys are going to make it your home. And you, if you want to know, like, what land is actually yours, just look at where your feet step. Because wherever your foot steps, you can claim that land. That land is yours. And you know what? You need to know, Joshua, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be people who step up and try and prevent you from taking the land, but that's okay. You don't need to worry about it because I'm going to empower you in such a way that no one's going to be able to stand up to you as long as you are alive. That's the vision. God gives Joshua the vision, and the only thing Joshua has to do is receive that vision and put it into action. That's what good leaders have. Good leaders have a God-given vision. Good leaders have a God-given vision. Good leadership isn't about creating a vision. It's about receiving a vision. Good leadership isn't about asking the question, what do I want to see happen? It's about asking the question, God, what do you want to see happen? God, what do you want to see happen in my student organization? What do you want to see happen? in our apartment or our house. God, what do you want to see happen among the international students here at Baylor? What do you want to see happen in our dating relationship? What do you want to see happen? God, I want your vision. I want to encourage every single one of you tonight to get alone with God and to ask Him that one question. You think about the spheres of influence God has placed you in, And you begin to ask the question, God, what do you want to see happen? And then you think bigger than your spheres of influence. You think about Baylor University as a whole. God, what do you want to see happen at Baylor? You think about MCC and TSTC. God, what do you want to see happen here? You think about the city of Waco. You think about your hometown. 
You think about the U.S., you think about other countries on the other side of the world. God, what do you want to see happen there? What's your vision? You give me your vision. I don't need to create one. I just want to receive one because that's what good leaders do. They receive a God-given vision. Let's keep moving. says this, verse 6. Or second half of verse 5. God says, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them only. Be strong and very courageous. We're going to come back to that and talk about it in a minute. But he goes on and says this. Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you, do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. Why? That you may have good success wherever you go. He goes on and says this, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Why? So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Do you see what God does? He draws a correlation between successful leadership and obedience. Here's basically what God is saying. If you want to be a good leader, then you better be a good follower. If you want to be a good leader, then you better be a good follower. There's a correlation there. There's a correlation between successful leadership and obedience. If you want to be a good leader, then you have to be a good follower of Jesus Christ. I think one of the most, and follow me on this, one of the most uncomfortable things for me, one of the things that I enjoy the least is having to drive from a wedding ceremony to a wedding reception. And let me just explain that because you're like, that's weird. Um, here's, here's what I mean. I never enjoy the drive from the ceremony to the reception because I'm one of those people who I never get the map that they hand out. I never even hear what the name of the place is. I just, what I do is I just follow everyone out of the parking lot. And I just, I get behind someone and I follow them. Well, everyone else does the same thing. And so I follow someone, and someone starts following me, and it's great because I'm a really good leader. I mean, people follow me, and they assume I know where I'm going, and everything's going great until I hit a red light, but the person in front of me doesn't, and they just keep going. They have no respect for the fact that I didn't get a map, and I don't know the name of the place because they're my leader. It's very inconsiderate. But it's a very uncomfortable situation because the person behind me is following me. And up until the red light, I've been an incredible leader. But then when the light turns green and I have no clue where I'm going, and I'm going like 15 miles an hour looking down the side streets like, oh, not them. Do you see the car down? Okay, no. Well, then, and then you have to pull a U-turn. You just kind of smile and wave at the people as you pass. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing type thing. You've been there before. 
See, that's the problem. You can't be a good leader unless you're a good follower. And then when you're not following anything, then you're not leading anything. And the thing is, if you've ever heard the statement, you can't lead someone where you've never been, that's what happens. I've never been to the reception location, so I can't lead people there. I can't be a good leader because I've never been a good follower following someone to the reception place. You want to be a good leader, then you need to be a good follower. You can't take somewhere that take someone somewhere that you've never been. You can't point someone to intimacy with Christ if you yourself haven't experienced intimacy with Christ. One of my favorite verses on leadership in the entire Bible is Second Chronicles sixteen nine. This is a verse that you need to memorize. You need to know says this, this is such a great verse, it says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless. Isn't that great? For the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro. Imagine the God of the universe. You know he has eyes, right? He's not just some mystical abstract substance. No, he has eyes and they roam to and fro throughout the whole earth and he's looking for someone to strongly support. Isn't that a beautiful idea? That the God of the universe wants to get under someone and support him or her, but there's a condition. I'm looking for someone to strongly support. I'm looking for the man or woman whose heart is blameless. It's not perfect, but it's blameless. Another translation says this, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth so that he might strongly support those whose hearts are fully his. You want to know how your heart becomes fully his? It's the word of God. That's what he is telling Joshua. He's saying, you meditate on my law day and night. You know my word. You don't neglect my word. Good leadership is always going to have foundation in my word. You want your heart to be fully God's, and you better fully know this word. Because think about it. You want to know how your heart becomes in line with God's heart? Well, this is his heart. God's written this book so that we can know his heart, know his desires, and know his vision. When we know this word, our desires, our vision, our heart becomes in line with his desires, his heart, and his vision. That's what happens when two people spend a lot of time together. Uh, Like I think about my wife, we spend a lot of time together, and so our desires And our vision are aligned. Like at night, it's like we both know what the desires are. We're going to end up on the couch watching a show with a bowl of ice cream and magic shell, Reese's magic shell on there. And it's a beautiful thing. Like we both have the same vision. This is what's happening. This is the desire. We don't have to talk about it. We don't have to be like magic shell. No, it's like here's a magic shell. Like it's going down. All right. We just do it because we've spent the time together. Our hearts and our desires truly are They're aligned, and that's what happens when you spend time in this word. Your hearts come together, and when your heart is fully his, what does he do? He strongly 
supports you. And you're a good leader because you're a good follower. Look at verse 9. God ends this section by saying, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I honestly think that Joshua is a little bit terrified right now. And the reason I think that is because in nine verses, God has had to tell Joshua three times, be strong and courageous. Do you see how he just ended the section? He says, don't be frightened. No guy wants to be told that. Don't be frightened. Like, let's get out of here, Scoops. No, don't be frightened. Be strong and courageous. I think that's how it went down. I'm sorry I do stuff like that. But um, I I honestly (laughs) I think this is how the conversation is kind of going, honestly. Where it's like, okay, Joshua, here's the game plan. Moses is dead. The leader's gone. You're my man now. Joshua, what I need you to do is I need you to rise up. I need you to step up, and I want you to take these people from here to there. And I think Joshua's like, oh, geez, um, you, you know, uh, God, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Hey, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Yeah, but God, I don't, I, don't, I mean, I, I've been working with Moses, but I don't... I, Joshua, be strong and courageous. I'm going to be with you. Joshua, you want to be a good leader, then you need to be a good follower. The best thing you can do is meditate on my law day and night. Haji, um, you know, uh, God, I was just, uh, what you were saying about me taking the people from there to there, I'm just wondering if you want to bring more back. Hey, Joshua, don't be frightened. What did I just tell you? I told you I'm going to be with you. Be strong and courageous. I love it that the only way that God pacifies Joshua's fears is by reminding him that he will be with him wherever he goes. That's the only way that he pacifies Joshua's fears. Do you notice not once... Does God mention Joshua's talents or gifts or good personality? He's not like, Joshua, why are you freaking out, man? Look at all your experience with Moses, man. You're the most experienced cat around here. Like, you're my guy. I mean, you're a people, uh, you're a people person, man. Everybody loves you. They're talking about Joshua this. And remember when he was a spy and that was a pretty cool deal and you did awesome with that and you know what, Joshua, you're a good communicator. Moses wasn't a good communicator. I had to use Aaron, but you're a good communicator, which is a pretty cool deal. Joshua, you think strategically and you're smart. No, God doesn't do any of that. He doesn't mention at all Joshua's talents or gifts. Why? Because he knows it's not going to be enough. He knows just days from now, Joshua's going to have to deal with the Jordan River and getting two million people across it. He knows that in just days, Joshua's going to have to deal with the walls of Jericho. He knows that in just days, he's going to have to deal with a bunch of enemies who are trying to fight against Israel. He knows 
that ultimately what Joshua has is not going to be enough. And the only way that Joshua, listen to this, don't miss this. The only way that Joshua is going to be able to carry out God's vision is with God's presence and provision. I'm going to say that again. The only way that Joshua is going to be able to carry out God's vision is with God's presence and provision. And the same is true for you. The only way that you're going to be able to carry out God's vision for your life, your organization, your house, your apartment, whatever it is, the only way you're going to be able to carry out His vision is with His presence and provision. So listen. Good leaders trust not in what they have, but in who has them. That's good leadership. Good leaders trust not in what they have, but in who has them. Good leaders know that ultimately it doesn't matter how much ambition you have. It doesn't matter how much discipline you have. It doesn't matter how much vision you have on your own. It doesn't matter how um, contagious your personality is. It doesn't matter how winsome you are. Ultimately, it's not going to be enough. And if you're going to carry out God's vision, you are going to need God to show up in a big way, period. And I'll just say this. I know college students love to be busy. But if everything you're giving your life to right now, if nothing that you're giving your life to right now requires God to show up in a big way, you might be carrying out the wrong vision. And you might have bought into way too small of a vision. Two years ago, God called my wife and I to move to Waco to take on Vertical. And when he did, we were extremely excited when we got the offer letter. And it was the weirdest offer letter I've ever gotten because it basically was an offer letter for a volunteer position. It was like, hey, we want you to be the executive director of Vertical. I'm like, man, that's cool. Put that on a business card. It has the word executive in it. Bam, like that's pretty awesome. I'm, I'm an executive. It's kind of a big deal. So anyway, uh, executive director, just make sure you get that on. Well, you're not writing anything down. Okay, anyway, that's cool. So that's what it said. We want you to be the executive director. And then it said, keep in mind, we can't promise you a salary. So I said, well, how much do you have in the bank account? They said, we literally have, we have $1. We literally have a dollar. So if you split that four ways between you, Kat, and your two kids, we have a dollar. I was like, well, that's cool. Um, and I will never forget having this moment where I woke up way too early in the morning and I had the thought, I don't have, I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes to do this. I don't have what it takes to raise the money that we need to provide for my family. I don't have what it takes. So unless God shows up in a radical way, this isn't going to happen. So God just started moving. And money just started, it just started coming in literally from nowhere. We would get checks from people we have never 
met before. We don't even know how they found out about us. That people just send in checks. Other people say, man, we, we were thinking that we want to support you guys on a monthly basis. And I'm like, I have no clue who you are. But that sounds great. And God just began to move. And sure enough, he moved us to Waco. And then we got here. And we went through last year. And then we started this year. And for over a year, we've been wanting to meet on campus. And we've never been able to meet on campus. Amen. I've tried everything. I've tried to pull strings. I've met with regents. I've, I've tried to network with everyone I know. And I've tried to plant bugs in people's ears saying, man, we want to be on campus. Can you kind of help us out? And nothing, nothing has been able to work out. And then Coach Glenn Moore, I'm on the phone with him, and these are his exact words. Let's do whatever we need to do to make this work. Because I think what you're doing is more important than what I'm doing. So if you need us to move our practices on Monday so that you can use our stadium, you just let me know. Because we'll do it. You think I had anything to do with that? I was out. And the God blows into the situation. He says, yeah, you're out. But you trust not in what you have. You trust in who has you. I have you. You guys meet on campus. Started thinking about this Song of Solomon series, and we just said, you know what, God... I really feel strongly that this is what you want us to do, but we don't want to just do a series. We're not just trying to rally people because we're talking about hot topics of sex and dating and marriage, but would you give us people to talk about? So talk to this about. And so going into the semester, I was thinking, man, if we could get 800, 1,000 students here on the first night, that'd be awesome. We had 1,400 people show up in Waco Hall. It's not about numbers, but it wasn't about me. It's about God showing up. And as I've met with many of you, God is moving and working and transforming many of you. Many of you guys are stepping out of guilt and shame from your past. Others of you are stepping into the right relationships and out of the wrong relationships. Others of you are getting a vision for how to lead in a godly relationship. God's moving. And we're praying that God's going to do the same thing with this series. Because we don't have what it takes, but that's okay. Because our trust isn't in what we have. Our trust is in who has us. And the beauty of Scripture is that in Hebrews chapter 13, let me just read you this real quick. It says this, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, listen to these words, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Where have you heard those words? Well, those are the same words that God spoke to Joshua means the same promise that God made to Joshua is the same promise that he makes to us, that he is with us and for us. So if we want to be good leaders, the best thing to do is put our trust not in what we have, but in who has us. Isn't that simply the message of the gospel? I mean, that's it, right? That is the message of the gospel, that without God's provision of salvation without God's presence on the cross. We have nothing because every single one of us has fallen short of his glory. And because we've fallen short of his glory, every single one of us is deserving of death, eternal separation from God. But Jesus Christ, 
stepped out of heaven and into earth, his presence, he, he was present on the cross, and through the cross has come the provision of grace, salvation. And the only way to experience that salvation is by trusting not in what we have, but in who has us. We can never stand before a perfect God and say, well, God, I have good church attendance. And you know what? I went to Baylor University, which is technically a Christian university, the largest Baptist university in the world. So I have that. I mean, I have a diploma from there. And you know what? I did good things. I have, I, I mean, I have a lot of community service and, and man, I did all of this and, and I have good moral behavior. No, we, no one's going to present that to God and him be like, Whoa, angels, you got to come see this. Look at the diploma. This guy graduated cum laude. This guy graduated cum lucky. I mean, he was just looking to get out of there. But this guy, cum laude. I mean, look at it. No, you don't put your trust in what you have. The only thing you can do is put your trust in who has you, that Jesus Christ absorbed the wrath of God on your behalf. And he has ushered you into a relationship with God the Father. God the Father has looked at you and called you son or daughter. He has you in his family. That's the gospel. And good leadership always starts with the gospel. Good leaders reflect on the gospel often. think about it. You reflect on the gospel. And when you do, what do you remember? You remember that you are an enemy of God. When you remember that you are an enemy of God, it kind of puts you in the right place. You no longer think that you're somebody. You remember that you're a nobody trying to tell everybody about the true somebody. Good leaders reflect on the gospel. And you know what happens when you reflect on the gospel, it, it reminds you of what your true identity is. Because of the grace of God, you've become a child of God, and that's your true identity. And that's a beautiful thing because you don't have to determine your identity by whether you fail or succeed as a leader. Your identity isn't determined by what you do. It's, to determine, it's determined by who God has declared you to be. He's already determined your identity is that you're his child, so you are freed up to lead, you're freed up to succeed, and you're freed up to fail because your identity isn't determined by your leadership. And when you reflect on the gospel, it just reminds you of what the point of your life is. The point of your life is to point others to Christ. The point of your life is to point others to the good news of Jesus Christ. Will you be the one man or the one woman who steps up? I just want you to look at this empty stage as we, as we close tonight. Let's just look at it together. And as you look at that stage, I just want you to think about the empty stage that's in your home tonight. You think about the empty stage that's in your apartment tonight. Think about the empty stage that's in your fraternity or sorority. You think about the empty stage that's in the among the international students at Baylor University. You think about the empty stage even at your church. It just feels like someone needs to step up and lead. Will you be that person?
Let's pray together. And I just want to ask you to think, what's the, what are the spheres of influence that God has placed you in right now? And maybe tonight God is just saying th- the three words that he said to Joshua. Now, therefore arise. way we're going to end tonight is that this time is yours. The band's going to lead us in another song. I'm not going to come back up to dismiss. The beauty of this place, which is unlike Getterman Stadium, is that we have an altar up front. We've got space if you want to spread out and just maybe pray with someone. My wife and I will be down front if you need to talk to someone. Blair Browning, y'all know Blair. He's a He's on the board of directors for Vertical Ministries. He'll be down front with us. If you need to talk with someone, pray with someone, you can come down. We'd love to love on you and point you to Jesus. And if you need to slip out, you can. That's totally fine. You're free to go and you're, you're free to stay. Just think about Joshua. God needed one man to step up and lead. That's when revival happens. Revival happens when the people of God get the vision of God to carry out the purposes of God. Will you be the one who steps up on that stage?